Hey, welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Tony, and Clint and I had a fun and helpful conversation this week with Dr. Nevin Kleimenhager. He's a senior research fellow at the Australian Catholic University, which is like the equivalent to a tenured professor here in the States. His current area of focus is on the nature of probability and how probability should be used in our explanations and reasoning, including reasoning about God. We had a lot of fun with this one, and we think that you'll enjoy some of the brain teasers that Nevin tricks us with. So uh, please enjoy. Here's the conversation with Dr. Nevin Kleimenhager. Well, welcome to the podcast, Nevin. Thank you, and thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Absolutely. And just for our audience, uh, Nevin and I met at a conference a a few years ago, and Oh, thanks, Tony. Yeah, yeah, we need them to hear you. <laughs> I've been keeping an eye on his work, really interested in what he's doing. I found him to be a really thorough, careful thinker. Uh, and I wanted to get some clarity on the topic of probability. This is uh, Nevin's specialty. And yeah, I guess in the season of the election and COVID, there are a ton of probabilistic yeah. terms being thrown around. Sure, yeah. Probably, likely, better chance. Um, yep. so, so here's a few statements that maybe you have heard before. Um, <laughs> it's more likely that Biden will be sworn into office or mm-hmm. there's a 40% chance of rain tomorrow Yeah. or God probably exists. Maybe you haven't heard that too often recently, but, yeah. um, that's one that you might've, uh, so the, I just want to know what we even mean by those words, mm-hmm. likely chance mm-hmm. probability. Yeah. Kevin, can you sort us out? How to th- how should we think about these things? Yeah, yeah. So these are great questions. Um, I, you're absolutely right <clears throat> that probabilistic language is ubiquitous in many contexts. And you're also right that it's often not immediately clear what people are saying when they make probabilistic assertions. Uh, so the first thing that I would note is that, as your example suggests, probably, likely, chance, et cetera. These are terms of ordinary language. So these aren't purely technical terms. Um, And what that means is you can't just appeal to an authoritative textbook, say, that will tell you the definition of probability. I can't just go to Merriam-Webster? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. You can go to Merriam-Webster or you can go to Wikipedia or something and you'll see definitions there, but usually they're not helpful ones. They like define probability in terms of likely likeliness or you know chance in terms of probability so there's there's like this circle um if you look at those kinds of sources um, yeah but but i'm thinking um so when i say you can't go to like a textbook i'm thinking more of like a math or a statistics textbook or something because if you go to those places you will find um stipulative definitions or purely formal definitions that people in those fields will use um but it's going to be an open question how well those map onto our pre-theoretic use of the term probability and, and associated terms. Hmm. And there has been, and so I don't want to like say that um, formal work on probability is unimportant because there's been huge advances in the mathematics of probability in the last century, but these mathematical advancements, advancements don't on their own answer the philosophical question of what probabilities are, what exactly our probabilistic language picks out. That the math right, is supposed a, to formalize, right? What maybe? What are a couple of the big time views on the matter, like that most people yeah. would adhere to? 
Yeah, so there are a number of different philosophical theories then about the nature of probability. Um, these are sometimes called interpretations of probability. And I'll give you my own view, um, and then maybe if you like, we can talk about some rival views and, and why I think they um, don't work. Sure. My own view, um, and, and, and just to, to flag uh, that this this is controversial, um, It's I'm not the only person who suggested this, but um, it's a minority view, I would say, in the philosophy of probability. Oh, wow. Okay. But my, my view is what... I would call a degree of support interpretation of probability. And the first key idea here is that all probabilities are conditional. So the probability of A given B. The degree of support interpretation says that the probability of A given B is the degree to which B supports A. Okay. Some so probability statements, uh, so let me just give an example. Yeah. Uh, um, so some probability statements are explicitly conditional. So I might say the probability that I draw a black ball out of an urn, given that it has one black and two white balls, is one third. Yes. Right. Given that little piece of knowledge about what's in the urn, then right. you have a certain confidence in your probabilistic assertion. I have a one third chance of drawing the black ball. Yeah. A yeah. Given yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't put it at this point in terms of confidence. That's a little bit downstream. Oh, I think this is going to no, not at all. No, I mean you're what well, what you're doing is you're um, trying to read into it a different interpretation, which which is yeah. slightly different. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, I mean, I know you have a, a background in philosophy, Clint, so you you um, will have heard some of the language that people will use to talk about probabilities, which my uh, my own view I think is not quite right. I think is misleading. Mm, great. Um, <laughs> so, so the way that I understand a statement like that is that we're saying, here's the degree to which this one proposition, that this urn has one black ball and two white balls, here's the degree to which it supports this other proposition, that I draw a black ball out of the urn. So I think what, what this statement means is that this um, first proposition supports the second proposition to degree one third. When I say the probability that I draw a black ball right. given this composition is one third. Um, so if you like, you can think of think of this as like a simple argument where you have a premise and a conclusion, and we're, and we're asking to what degree does the premise support the conclusion? Yeah, okay. But so, you're saying that's um, different. I, yeah. To me, Clint's use of the word confidence is yeah. one I would be tempted to use as well. Why was that not... Yeah. Unacceptable. Well, so so I think that's I think that's downstream from this. So I think okay. I think that um, instead of this being identical to how confident you are, I think what this does is tell you how confident you should be. Wow. So the idea okay. is, if the probability that I draw a black ball, given that the urn has this contents, is one third, then if all I know is that the urn has these contents, then I should be confident two degree one third. That I draw by ball. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's well, not. Well, it's not that it's identical to your to your degree of belief. It it rationally constrains it. That's the idea. Yes. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. So what about um, I guess probabilistic statements that aren't conditional, like some of the ones we rattled off earlier. Yeah. What's right. going on there? Yeah. Yeah. So so. On the face of it, the statements that you made were all unconditional. So your examples were, it's likely that Biden will be sworn into office, there's a 40% chance of rain tomorrow, and God probably exists. So mm. at first, these look like they're unconditional. Um, but on closer inspection, I would say that you're not saying that these things have these probabilities unconditionally. 
Right. So take the last example. Uh, it, it's not like it's indeterminate whether or not God exists or that it's like uncertain from the point of view of the universe or something. Mm -hmm. Either right. there is a God not either or there isn't. Or not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, instead, what you're saying is that relative to your evidence, yeah. it's probable that God exists. So it's so, that the, the conditions just haven't been made explicit in that case. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some implicit background. So in, the, in that example, I think it's probably your evidence. And so what you're saying is that your evidence supports theism over atheism. Right. Um, in you, some so other cases. Saying... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was just going to say some other cases might be harder than that. Um, so I think it is going to be a tricky matter to uh, clarify exactly what the implicit background conditions are in some examples. So take the statement that there's a 40% chance of rain tomorrow. Um, that might not just be a claim about my evidence. If the only thing I know relevant to tomorrow's weather is that it tends to rain on average one out of 10 days out of the year here in Melbourne, where I am, Mm -hmm. If I don't know what yesterday's weather was or what the barometric pressure is or what the weather channel says, um, I might not say that the chance of rain is 10%, even if that's how strongly my own evidence supports the hypothesis of rain. What I might say mm -hmm. instead is that I don't know what the chance of rain is. And that suggests that some claims about chances are claims about probabilities relative to some fuller set of information, something like a complete physical description of uh like the weather condition something like that yeah go ahead yeah well that so what i was going to ask is how then can you ever be justified in making a probabilistic claim given mm -hmm. take the weather for example there yeah. is there are so many things that could play into whether or not it actually rains tomorrow that from our right. like epistemic position how can we ever reach a point where we go yep i'm i can slap a probability on that yeah uh yeah so good question i think well, I think you need to do two things. The first thing you need to do is to make the background conditions explicit. Mm -hmm. So are we talking about probability relative to your evidence? Are we talking about probability relative to something uh, narrower or something broader? And it's when we're talking about probabilities relative to something broader, like relative to the total physical conditions um, in, the, in the past or right now, for example, that's mm -hmm. where um, our claims about probabilities are themselves going to be uncertain because right. we don't know what all the physical conditions are, right? Um, we don't mm -hmm. know what the complete weather conditions are on Earth right now. It's an extremely complicated system. And so you get kind of a higher order thing where you're going to be making these claims about uh, the chances of rain tomorrow. That itself is going to be a probabilistic statement. You you, you only um, can know that it's probable to some degree that this is what the chances relative to uh, the total um, physical state of the system yeah. right now are. Does that make sense? And, yeah, that, that does make sense. I I'm wondering, is that I can? That's pretty clear in the example of weather. I'm wondering, yeah. are there any situations where you feel like you have all the information? I feel like every situation in life, there's some there's some degree of unknown, and so do we just live with this? Do you just mean? Are you admitting that you lack omniscience? I, yeah, okay. I guess that's what it is. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. How courageous of you! <laughs> yeah. So I'm just wondering if baked into probability theory, I guess, is is sort of this understanding of our epistemic limitations and. Uh, I guess. Oh man, as we're talking about this, part of me is like, I know I just I introduced the word confidence, and maybe, like that was probably too soon. <laughs> yeah. But I am, I'm worried that it's too we're talking too much about knowledge, like re regardless of my uh -huh. evidence or my reasons for thinking it, aren't there probabilistic truths 
I don't know, in the same way that there are these, if mathematical claims are abstract objects or something that are really out there, are there yeah. really some probabilistic truths of the world that just their truth makers are independent of anything? Their mind independently true. Is that, mm-hmm. is that crazy? Yeah, I, th- think, I think that's, I think that's how all probabilistic claims are. Oh goodness. Wow. Uh, so, so these probabilistic support relations, I think that they're true independently of what anybody thinks. I think they're necessarily true. Um, so to go back to the, and, and then I'll come back to your question, Tony, oh, wow. uh, but to, to go back to the, simple example, the toy example I started with, um, the probability that I draw a black ball out of this urn, given that it has one black ball and two white balls is one third. Well, I think that's an a priori claim. It's like two plus two equals four. As soon as you understand the propositions involved, you can see that that proposition is true. And it's not dependent on my actual degrees of confidence or on whether I actually have an urn um, or any of those other questions, right? Um, It's it's a claim that's necessarily true. It's just this... uh, quasi-logical relation between these propositions. Propositions, yeah. Oh, gotcha, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's independent of whether you know what's yeah. in the urn. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. That, that and, there is these things in the Yeah, urn. exactly, exactly, yeah. And to bring yeah. this then back to Tony's question, like, well, isn't, in real life cases, isn't it all just immensely complicated so we really um, can never know what the probabilities are? Uh, there, there are two kinds of difficulties that can come in. The one is that we don't necessarily know what the background conditions are that the mm-hmm. probability is conditional on. And the weather example was like that. Yeah. Um, the other difficulty is that even if we say, oh, it's conditional on my evidence, right? Well, um, even there, my evidence is immensely complicated. And so even if I could spell it out, even if I know, well, okay, here's my evidence, I'm gonna elucidate it all for you, blah, blah, blah. Then to try to figure out the probability conditional on that, it's gonna be immensely more complicated than that simple drawing a ball out of an urn example I just gave you. And we might Mm -hmm. then try to use rules of probability like Bayes' theorem, which uh, Clint will be familiar with, comes up a lot in discussions of probability and philosophy of religion. so we'll try to use those rules of probability to get a, gri- a, a, a grip on what these probabilities are, try to break them down into simpler ones that we can more easily see the value of, but it's gonna be a complicated procedure and we probably won't be able to, to arrive um, at certainty of here's exactly what the probability is. Mm-hmm. Um, we might instead have to settle for like, well, I think it's approximately this, or it's something, it's something around here. So we start with like the ideal cases, you know, in philosophy, these like really simple cases where I've just got this one thing as evidence and I know exactly how much it supports this proposition. Then we try to move that into real life cases, into interesting cases, and there's gonna be a certain degree of fuzziness there, a certain degree of hur- of heuristic reasoning that goes on. Mm-hmm. So one thing we like to do on this wow. podcast too is um, kind of smash the pre-theoretic notion someone might be listening like i know all there is to know about probability (laughs) and i think you've come come armed with some thought experiments to dash those hopes perhaps oh great uh tony can you cue our little thought experiment bubble sound heading to the lab heading to the lab to go do a thought experiment (laughs) brilliant what's the experiment you've got for us all right. Um, so there, there are a ton of great probability thought experiments and brain teasers. Uh, the mathematics of probability can often be counterintuitive. So I'm going to give you a, a classic problem that illustrates this. Um, you may have heard it before. Is I'm this going to me to be very? Is this going to show how dumb <laughs> I am on on public <laughs> so, broadcast? Well, I, I hope Tony that you that you have okay, heard right. it before. Great. I okay, hope you good. haven't heard it before, so you can give me your untutored intuitions. <laughs> good. Okay, I will. I will. 
All right, so I, I'm going to describe a person for you, Linda, and then I want to tell you, I want you to tell me which of two propositions is more probable given my okay. description. I All right, so it. here's the description. Linda is 31 years old, single, outspoken, and very bright. She majored in philosophy. As a student, she was deeply concerned with issues of discrimination and social justice. All right, now given this description, which of these two statements is more probable? Number one, Linda is a bank teller. Number two, Linda is a bank teller and a feminist. All right, so what do you think? Yeah, she's a feminist, 100%. 100% so you think statement, statement number two is more probable? I do. I, yes, that's what my gut says. My gut says, listen, if she's into social justice, she's probably a <laughs> feminist as well. I don't know about the bank teller thing. I don't know yeah. anything about her ability to count money or whatnot. But if she's, yeah, you so, said she was college educated, right? Or something. Yeah. 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 So Given let me read the two. two. Let oh, me read man. the two statements again. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm going to pride you a little bit here. So number one, Linda is a bank teller. Number two, Linda is a bank teller and a feminist. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see what you mean. What? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you've added another hoop that she needs to jump through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that makes it less like less like more likely that she would be one of those things than both of those things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah now you're getting it, I think. Okay, all right. But my intuition, I see the trap. So what? Yeah, yeah. Your gut was to, was to say, oh, you know that second one. That sounds like Linda. Yeah, yeah. It does sound. It does sound like Linda. <laughs> Let's be real. Right. Classic Linda. <laughs> That's good. Okay. So, yeah, so this case goes back to a psychology experiment um, in, the, in the early 80s by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. And what they found is that most people uh, had the same reaction you did. They rated yeah. the second statement as more probable than the first. But as I think you, were, you, you saw then when I read the statements again, that's actually impossible because the probability of a conjunction, A and B, can't be higher than the probability of one of its conjuncts, A. Yeah, right. Yep. What's the uh, what's the fallacy in reasoning going on there? Is it um, do you think people are just looking for a connection? They see the word feminist and it linked to the description you gave, or is it like, do they and that maybe they think it's a disjunction, like a bank teller or a feminist? Because that change yeah. that would be totally different. Then you'd pick B. Right. Yeah. So so this is called the conjunction fallacy. And the reasons why people commit the conjunction fallacy are disputed. So it's it's a it's a matter of controversy, um, exactly what's going on when people make this mistake. And there have been a lot of, uh, of replications and variations on this in which psychologists try to tease out, well, if we mm -hmm. change things slightly, um, can people, will people still make the error? And there are some things that uh, help people reason better. For example, if you state the um if you you give the statements in in forms of uh frequencies or you ask about frequencies rather than probabilities people do better um so if you what say you, you know that? here uh so, so what i mean is like say that we've got a bunch of people who meet who meet this description like 100 people who meet this description and you ask um what frequency of them are bank tellers and what frequency of them are bank tellers and feminists uh Yes, then people more easily see, oh, well, the first one has to be bigger than the second, right? Like if you yeah. got all these people together in a room and you counted mm -hmm. up how many are bank tellers and then you counted up how many of those are feminists, well, obviously the second number is going to be smaller than the first. Yes, I guess the way I was sort of thinking through the th building that world in my head where I'm on the hunt for Linda was yeah. I was kind of imagining walking into a bank 
and there's a bunch of bank tellers and one of them's a feminist, <laughs> that's probably Linda, you know? Right. I had just sort of granted that uh -huh. there's bank tellers am uh, among the crowd here yeah, yeah. and one of them's yeah. a feminist. I reckon, yeah. I reckon that's Linda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you, you picked out the second statement as more representative of yes, Linda in some, so. in some sense. Yeah. So mm -hmm. some people talk, some psychologists talk about this is that what's going on in the reasoning. Like you, you see the one statement is more representative. Yeah. So are there, um, how could this map onto the real world? Do people make this kind of conjunction fallacy for, uh, pieces of reasoning, I guess that actually matter. I mean, people aren't walking around thinking about Linda <laughs> on a Linda hunt. Some, yeah. some, yeah. Yeah, some are thinking about feminism, but there are other topics in politics and in the world that people are thinking about. Do the, do people make this mistake like rampantly? Yeah, I, yeah. How could this get yeah, us in trouble? I think so. Um, I think that often the way that say something is described in a news report, for example, or, you know, when you're, you're thinking about some future event um, and, you might be primed by the way in which it's described to think of it as more or less likely. So let me give mm. you another example of another experiment common and Tversky did, which is interesting mm. because it wasn't done on um, just, you know, ordinary schmucks, but on uh, professional forecasters, people who were like paid money to predict what was going to happen in the future. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And they get it wrong. So, I'm definitely going to get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, well, well, this one, you, you need two groups of people. So you, you'll see what's okay. going on when I describe it. Um, but what they did was they gave, um, uh, you know, they had, let's say they had 100 people, 100 forecasters, and they gave 50 of them uh, statement one. Statement one says, sometime in 1983, there will be a complete suspension of diplomatic relations between the USA and the Soviet Union. And then the other group, they gave statement two, sometime in 1983, there will be a Russian invasion of Poland and a complete suspension of diplomatic relations between the USA and the Soviet Union. Mm. And what they found is that group two that was given the second statement rated it as more probable than group one did that was given the first statement in, in aggregate. Now, is there something going on there about, uh, as you were talking about givens before, given that Russia has invaded yeah. Poland, yeah. it does right. seem more likely that things are going yeah. crazy with Russia. Yeah. And yeah. 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 And so a lot, in a lot of these cases, what might be going on is that people are kind of confusing different probabilities. Mm -hmm. So what you just su suggested, Tony, is that maybe these people were confusing the probability of the conjunction with the probability of the second conjunct given the first conjunct. So they yeah, were confusing the probability. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly how you would have put it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were confusing the probability of a Russian invasion of Poland and a breakdown of diplomatic relations between the USA and Russia with the probability of a breakdown in diplom diplomatic relations given an invasion. Given. Yes, yes, that's right. So, so to, to give like a, a contemporary example, so suppose that you were asking somebody, what's the probability that um, Biden will not be inaugurated president? Um, or you ask them, what's the probability that um, one of Trump's cases will win, um, like one of these court cases will win and Biden won't be inaugurated president? Um, you'll, that's probably a good get, yeah. you'll probably get a higher probability. People will probably give a higher probability to the second than to the first because the second I mean, will get them that, thinking. Take, yeah. yeah, the given thing. Oh man! Yeah, the second That's one will get them thinking. Oh, maybe this is uh, this is something that might happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So a couple years ago, yeah. you posted uh, a a thought experiment on Facebook for us <laughs> philosopher nerds, and this yeah. thing genuinely caused me to lose a bit of sleep. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I really wrestled with it. I didn't like it at all. Okay. And I'd like you to share it with our audience. You'll do far more justice and explanation <laughs> than I would. And I think you know what I refer to. 
Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so this this one this thought experiment. <coughs> Excuse me. A uh, bit of water went down the wrong pipe here. Yeah. yeah I, uh, so so this thought experiment was uh, is in decision theory. So decision theory is. Um, a branch of philosophy that tries to combine considerations of probability with considerations of uh, expected utility or expected value and use that to tell you what's rational to do in a given situation. Um, Seems helpful. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Now, this particular thought experiment, um, which, which I came up with, is is it's a fun thought experiment in philosophy, but it's one of these where it's not actually going to be helpful in real life because the <laughs> uh, conditions are, are, are science fiction. <laughs> okay. um, but so, so, the, so the question was this, um, suppose that you have uh, a crystal ball that um, infallibly, it has a video feed of your, um, your front porch um, tomorrow morning. So it tells you what your front porch yeah. is going to look like tomorrow. Um, yes. All right. Now, there's something going on in your neighborhood. Um, there's a burglar who has been uh, burgling houses in your city, and he's going to come to your neighborhood tonight. Um, He's going to pick a house at random to burgle. Let's say there are a hundred houses in your neighborhood. He's going to roll a hundred sided die, and then that'll tell him which house he's going wow, to break into. Be... He's yeah, bright. yeah. Um, now this burglar is extremely effective. Nobody is able to stop him or even able to see him. Um, you know, there's yeah. a rumor he he like knocks people out with some high tech, uh, yeah. you know, um, gas or something, and then um, is is out before. They've even seen him. You never see him come or go. Yeah, yeah. So there's nothing you can do. There's no way. That if, if he's going to target your house, there's nothing you can do. It's, it's just okay. it's a done deal. Yep. All right. So um, you say, oh, well, I'm going to look into my crystal ball. I wonder, is he going to turn on my house? So you look into your crystal ball, and to your dismay, your door is knocked down. And it's, so it's showing me what will be tomorrow morning. Exactly. Yep. Tomorrow morning, your door is going to be knocked down. Um, so there's nothing you can do to stop the burglar, but there is one thing you could do. You could go outside and knock down the door yourself. So if you do that now, um, you've got a good explanation for why your door's knocked down. It probably wasn't the burglar. It was probably, oh, I just went out and knocked down my door. So the question is, oh. should you go out and knock down your door? Isn't that disturbing? Yeah. Do you feel like you need to take a break real quick? <laughs> uh, you knock down anything? It's broken my brain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the weird issues of because certainly, like it seems preposterous that I need to go kick my door in that to, to prevent the burglar. Yeah, that yeah. because that yeah. rolling of the die that he's going to use is totally independent of my foot. I worry that yeah, even if but... I did break down the door, he just has a clean entry. He rolled my house, and now I have a broken door <clears throat> and a broken. But foot. if we're saying the crystal ball is infallible. And you don't kick that door down. Something is going to happen tonight that uh, knocks the door down, mate. Uh, so do you want to be the one who knocks it down? Or do you want to allow the universe to knock it down for you? This is what caused me strife. I'm kicking that door down. <laughs> if I look into the crystal. You maniac. I'm going to self-sabotage. I'm kicking that door. I'm Isn't not the, letting someone else do it. Is that a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point? Yeah, there's something really strange going I'd on. I'd rather give up the coherence of infallibility of the crystal ball than anything else yeah at this point <laughs> yeah. I, I think i think that there's a potential for a great science fiction novel or short yeah. story here yeah like where, where you get like self-fulfilling prophecies based on you know you got some technology that that does this for you and 
you know, use, you know, the company uses it to manipulate people into doing things they want or something. Yeah. He's slowly going insane, <laughs> destroying your home, yeah, <laughs> smashing mugs, kicking doors. Down. <laughs> so what's the answer? Is, it, is there an answer to this riddle or well, I would this, you would not? I, what are you actually going to do here? Uh, I want to know. No, I'm not. No, you're going to sit there. Who knows what happened? But it probably, I don't, something terrible is going to happen to you then. In so. this case, if it really is one out of a hundred for the burglar, then it probably was the burglar that did it. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I'm, I don't. Yeah. Well, there goes, just, your, there goes your TV and all your valuables, mate. Cause you were too stubborn to kick down your door. <laughs> that can't be how it works. <laughs> I refuse. Evan, help, help us. We're, we're drowning. I I'm inclined to agree with you, Clint. <laughs> but I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think it's obvious. Uh, it's, wow. it's a very confusing puzzle because it it brings to a fore like a clash between intuitions that don't that don't clash in more ordinary cases. Um, like there's this breakdown between what the probability of um, the burglar having or what the probability that the burglar will. Uh, break into your house is given what you do there's a, a clash between that and what you can influence by your actions like when you break yeah. down the door you're not going to cause the burglar to like to right. go somewhere else right that we know um, that that's not a matter of a yeah. just mere opinion yeah that's built into the thought experiment yes um and so there's these these two things come apart like what's the probability of um the outcome given my action and what um can my action influence the outcome? Those two things come apart in this thought experiment. Yeah. Or like, or um, I think how you put it, or someone, someone who commented on that Facebook thread long ago just brought up the term explanatory power. And yeah. it would it would do a lot of it would balm my soul a little bit to kick down the door because it would provide <laughs> clean explanatory power in a way for why my ball right. probably yeah. showed that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my concern was not your belongings well not necessarily that it might be the burglar who does it but something's doing it mm. my door will yeah. get kicked down it might as well be and me. if it's not the burglar it could be something way worse so <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna do it okay it's bizarre that's great thank you for that mental workout now uh slightly less fantastic mm. but uh more common i would say we've had a little bit of pushback from me over here um <laughs> on the logic of the gambler's fallacy uh and we right. have a group of friends sometimes we have a campfire in my backyard uh some consternation from others uh on the logic of this i don't like it they are adamant that and just real quick for our audience so gambler's fallacy uh you're flipping a fair coin two-sided coin and let's say you flipped it four times in a row it's been heads I, there's a no no let's make it more you flipped it 400 times and it's heads uh, sure uh 4, the question is what's the probability that it will be heads or tails the next time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and some people have this intuition that oh it's it's gotta be tails like tails is coming up mm. well in that case i do get skeptical the more times yeah, the more instances of heads though even after yeah. all we've talked about this you're yeah. getting worried <laughs> i do get worried. like what if i said the word Four thousand. Yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah, right. <laughs> Four thousand well, heads. In the real world, though, this is my thing. In the real world, if you're in a casino with, you would think this is a loaded coin, and it's gonna come up heads again. If it's been five hundred thousand times of heads, that's a high number. Are you gonna bet 
on heads because if you don't, I'm gonna make out like a bandit. Well, I might, but I would be equally justified in betting on tails. No, I'd call you a fool. Yeah, and so I think I'd go to sleep on my pile of money. I think what your discussion is bringing out is this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this this conflict between what could be true in an idealized thought experiment and then how to translate that into real life. Yes, right. So, so I think in terms of the logic of the gambler's fallacy, uh, I think you, you've described it just fine, Clint. Um, what's the, the gambler's fallacy is supposed to be um, a case where you have probabilistically independent events, like you're flipping a fair coin, and mm -hmm. you think that because you've had a run of a particular outcome, like 400 heads in a row, this makes that outcome less likely in future trials. Very succinct um, explanation. Yeah, he's done this <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> So, sometimes, um, and you also then, uh, in your conversation, you switch to moving the other way, saying, well, maybe heads is more likely. Um, yeah. So sometimes people also use the gambler's fallacy to describe the opposite error, thinking that after a run of heads, it's more likely the next flip will land heads as well. Sometimes that's also called the hot hand fallacy. Mm, um, the example yeah. here being that a basketball player who's just made a couple successful shots is more likely to make his next shot. Uh, but that does seem true to me. No, it's printed yeah, shown yeah. wrong. Because like sometimes uh, no, no, this, this this is controversial again. Whether whether okay. this is whether whether there really are hot hands in basketball. It's it's I, I think it's still that, Nevin? help me remember. I read a book <laughs> where they said that it was some author said it had been shown wrong. Well, okay. Here, um, no. Was it was it Daniel Commons Conman's book? Um, it might have been. Blink, is that what it's called? Here's my personal example sure. with hot hands. We went to Top Golf recently. Okay. And that's just a driving range. And I'm not good at golf. Haven't really played it. And after a little bit, I I hit one right up to the back. And I thought, you beauty. I've figured out the muscle memory. Just repeat that. And I did four more in a row right to the back. Yeah, but you increased in your skill level in that session. These are But then I went downhill. All of them after that were no good. Okay. But I had a hot streak where I just was trying to replicate the exact movement ah. each time. Do, 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 just do it like that again. Remember how that felt. Do it like that again. And it worked. Is that a hot hand? Nevin, is it? <laughs> just defaulting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I have personally tried to take advantage of this gambling. I guess I haven't seen it as a fallacy, but... Um, <laughs> When I've been in a casino, so I'm with you that the, the difference between the idealistic thought experiment and a coin in real life that you start to suspect foul play if it comes yeah, up ahead yeah. 4,000 times. But when I've been to like a blackjack machine, which I get they could rig machines, but the computer does seem like it's capable a little bit more of genuine 50-50 okay. chances. And I will do, I will double or nothing. Black, black, mm, feels like a red, red this time. And I've gotten some pretty hot streaks doing that. Hmm. You're saying that's dumb luck. Absolutely luck. Well, There's no strategy to like, it's been black three times. It's, it's probably going to be red. It just really seems like. You've probably heard probably nothing with the use of the word black. luck, for being honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think, yeah. I, luck, I bet luck doesn't come luck. up. Say again. I think it's most likely luck. Most likely luck. Yeah. 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 Given, yeah. given what I know of. of uh, um, casinos and how these things work. I mean, it's it's always possible, right? Like th yeah. it's it's um, the probability is not zero that uh, it, it's not truly random, but it's very probable that it's random. And also, um, you're probably your instincts as to how unlikely a particular run is given chance are probably um, 
you, you probably are are underestimating how likely that is given chance. Yes, and I, you know what, as well, I think I tend to remember the hot streaks more than I remember yeah. the many times I have failed in that. That's absolutely attempt. right. That's that's yeah. another another thing that we can also fall into in our thinking. Yeah. What is is that confirmation bias? Um, it's, it's no, it's not confirmation bias. Um, I want to say selective memory. That's not the right term, but, um, yeah, but yeah, it's a certain kind of bias where you remember, um, instances that are striking in some way. Um, mm -hmm. so th those might be instances where, um, like if you're, you've got this hypothesis that, um, uh, the hot hand or that, that, um, this reasoning works where you bet on three, but black has come up three times um, and then red's more likely or, or black's more likely, whichever one it is. Um, and then you remember instances in which that has been successful. Yes, right. Can I ask, um, I think you're the, the man I should be asking mm -hmm. as a philosopher probably, is, can we know, is anything truly random? Is there such a thing as a truly random event? So, for example, I've yeah. used random number generators online when I'm trying to just uh, decide something quickly or like it's rolling a dice online. But even those have been seeded, I think, in the algorithm from the date of the computer or, or the exact time right, that it yeah. has to be, yeah. you know? So is, is there any such thing as a truly random number generator? Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, so you're, you're right that... Um, random number gen generators are not truly random. Um, mm. Whether there are any truly random events in nature is, um, I would say, an empirical question, which we don't know the answer to. Okay. Uh, and so there are certain interpretations of quantum mechanics will imply that, that there are truly indeterministic events in nature. And the way I would understand this on my conception of probability is that the total state of the system prior to the event mm. um, does not entail either um the outcome or the op outcome a or outcome not a um is that just to reject determinism yeah that's what? right yeah yeah um so if there, if there are genuinely random events in nature um in in the sense that um the total state of the system doesn't entail the outcome one way or the other um yeah. and that's that's the case just in case there's indeterminism in nature right and sorry, where do you fall on that? Uh, I, do you think? I don't. I don't feel like I, I uh, have enough information to to know. Okay. Um, Fair enough. I mean, I guess the quantum mechanical phenomena uh, do provide some evidence that there's true randomness in nature. So it's more mm -hmm. likely now than it was, say, in 1900, re relative to the scientific knowledge then. Now, when you say it's more likely now, yeah, do you mean we we can have greater confidence in thinking that's the case? Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm I'm speaking loosely here. You're, you're okay. correct. All right. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Let's my, my own uh, petard here. But what I should say is that relative to the evidence that was available in 1900, it, it uh, was less probable. Um, right. Or it, okay. it is less probable relative to that evidence than it mm. is relative to our evidence now that there's true chance in nature, true randomness. Got it. Yeah. So I'd love to shift uh, into this. Uh, maybe a more like philosophy of religion context where probability comes up. A lot of our listeners are uh, mm. people in our congregation um, and folks that are generally theists, although we have some agnostics, atheists that listen in. Um, 
And I just wonder, it, it seems like there are statements made quite a bit about probability and God. Like we opened the show with the, the statement, God probably exists. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've even read some philosophy papers where people will give like percentages to this stuff, like yeah. 51% likely. Oh my gosh. Um, oh yeah, all that Jesus rose from the dead. There's this whole probability calculus. Yeah, credence level. Or yeah, something. yeah. Wow. Um, so, could you just kind of embark on this path for us and like relating these two fields of fill religion and just thinking about God's existence and probability and maybe how to think well in this area? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I would say to start. So, I think that. Um, it's a great thing to apply probability to philosophy of religion. I think it can really help us think clearly about reasoning about theism. And the first thing I would say is that um, what doing this does, what bringing probability into the conversation does, is it helps us see that our confidence doesn't have to be all or nothing. So the mm-hmm. first thing we yeah. say is we recognize that both theism and atheism might be true. And we can acknowledge it's not 100% certain that God exists. But still, if, if we're theists, we can still hold that on balance, the evidence supports or even strongly supports God's existing. And then mm-hmm. in virtue of it, it's rational for us to believe or accept or have faith that God exists. Mm. We don't hold ourselves to a standard of epistemic certainty in anything else in our lives. So we're, we're willing to move to take a job or walk to the grocery store, recognizing that we can't be 100% certain that the job will be worth it, that we won't get hit by a car on the way yep. to the store, right? Um, all we require is a reasonable level of confidence. Yep. And I think the same is true for faith in God. We don't need to be 100% certain that God exists, or if we're Christians, that Jesus rose from the dead, etc., to be confident enough in these claims to act on them and live as if they're true. And to be justified rationally in doing so. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. To, to rationally act on them and, and mm-hmm. uh, spend our lives on them. Hmm. Okay. Certainty is a high bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. There are very few things I am certain about, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you name a few? I think yeah. of a priori things like mathematics, yeah. two plus two being four, the the fact that I am conscious. That seems wow. like indisputable to me at the moment. Yeah, sure. Actually, maybe more than anything else, that's the most indisputable Even more than thing. the math. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've, I would sooner hesitate on the math than I would hesitate that I am aware right now. Fair enough. I'll allow it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's like it. That's it's a pretty short list, I think. Yeah. But your point, Nevin, I mean, I could go on Facebook right now and I bet it would take me less than five minutes to find people with a comment like, well, God one hundred percent exists. Right. Oh, you're totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're right in that like God either exists or doesn't. So like if he exists, he one hundred percent exists. It is binary. You yeah. can't like sixty percent exist unless you're right. halfway through yeah. Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, applying certainty seems like a mistake. Mm-hmm. But in any case, yeah. I guess then. Um, so yeah, let's say I find myself in the position of not having certainty. Right. How then should I? Oh, well, I don't, we don't need to go totally afield into like natural theology and all the ins and outs of the arguments, but for someone who would like to claim God probably exists, what, what are they saying exactly by that? Just to apply so, your theory to it? When I think of the word probably, I don't think 51%. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just my layman's understanding. I think... What's your range? It's like 
It's at least 70%. Okay. Probably. You know? Thanks, yeah. Sorry. I don't know if that's helpful. You go ahead. Yeah, and answer. Yeah, yeah. So that's a different question is, is when you say probably, yeah. how, how probable do you mean? What do we mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that I, I, this is, again, a, a separate issue, which, which, could, which is an independent question of the interpretation of probability. I would understand um, uh, God probably exists as saying that the probability is above 50%. But it might be that um, in certain contexts that even though like literally what you've said is compatible with the probability being 51%, it might be that pragmatically it implies that it's much higher. Yes, um, right. Say, oh yeah, God probably exists. Um, then, then it sounds like you're, you're you're communicating, even if like the literal content of your statement is compatible with fifty one percent. What you're communicating is that it's uh, quite a bit higher. Mm -hmm. So bloody articulate, mate. Thank you, <laughs> thank yeah. you for saying it that way. <laughs> right. But but yeah, to come back to your question, Clint, of of what that means, um, that God probably exists. The way I would understand it is that. Um, the probability that God exists, given my evidence, is high, mm -hmm. that it's above 50% or that it's um, mm -hmm. above my threshold. And so, okay, I guess that is helpful then. What, well, maybe let's circle back to other rival views of probability that yours is in yeah. disagreement yeah. with. And maybe because I'm that may crop up in how people are thinking about this about God too. Um, if people are right. carrying over their other mm, thoughts yeah. about probability. Before I read, uh, I was a little bit influenced by your notes that you sent over before the show. But yeah. before reading that, if I were to try to think like a rival view of probability, I was mm. trying to tell Tony something about like counterfactuals yeah. creep into my mind. In that, mm. so let's say the forty percent chance of rain tomorrow. Right. I probably would it before listening to you here. I would have been tempted to articulate that the meaning of that as saying, well, if we were to be able to run some simulations of tomorrow, let's mm -hmm. say 10 of them, it would yeah. rain in four. Mm -hmm. Something like yeah. that, like some kind of counterfactual about the future or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Is the theory used, or would I be totally on an island there? You're definitely articulating um, one kind of arrival view. So you're, you're articulating a version of frequentism which oh, identifies yeah. probabilities with relative frequencies in some class. Um, so to, to take start with a simple example and then come to yours. So the simple example of tossing a coin, um, you might say to say that the probability that the coin lands heads is 50% is to say that the frequency with which it lands heads is 50%. It lands heads and half tosses. Yes. Now, as soon as you say that, then you have to say, well, wait, like half of what tosses? Are we talking about like yeah. actual tosses of the coin? Infinite number of tosses. What's that? Or an infinite number of tosses. Yeah. 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 Maybe I just toss it once, right? Well, then it, it lands heads or it doesn't. So the probability is one or zero, right? Maybe I toss it three times. Well, then it can't yep. be 50%. Um, yep. So you end up having to say, oh, you know, if you were to toss it an infinite number of times, then the frequency with which it lands heads would approach 50% as time goes to infinity or something like that. But then as I went to, so I said that exact thing uh, yeah. before we hopped on the air, I was telling that to tony but then i caught myself and i thought well how could i ever know such a thing without yeah. tossing it an infinite number of times how, what would be my evidence for thinking that after an infinite amount of tosses or potentially infinite yeah that yeah. it would asymptotically approach 50 percent yeah. or something i don't know right. yeah, yeah. Mm. is and that the problem like you see with frequentism what's that is that the main problem or deficiency you see with frequentism 
There are many problems with frequentism. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, in the rain case, um, again, I think you'd have to go to infinity to ensure that the proportion is 40%, because it could be that just by chance, it's not 40%, even if that really is the, the yeah. chance of rain. Um, and once you do that, then, um, yeah, so there's gonna be questions about knowledge, like how do you, how could you know this? Um, and and those, those questions arise on other interpretations too. I think the first question I would ask is why does the frequency approach 40%? Hmm. Or in the coin case, why is it that it comes up heads 50% of the time? Is that just a brute fact about the world? Um, I would say that fact has an explanation. And the explanation is this, given the background conditions, the physical state of the system, the, those physical conditions support rain or landing heads to 40% or 50%. Mm -hmm. And once no, there's a little bit that, more of a causal story there. In terms of probabilities rather than identifying probabilities with frequencies. Okay. Yeah, so, right. So frequentism's out. What's another big player? Um, so another popular view that's more popular in philosophy and more popular in philosophy than, than in other fields where people use probabilities like statistics or, well, actually it's statistics maybe, but but um, physics and, and some other fields, they don't, um, this interpretation is not as popular, um, but this is the degree of belief interpretation. So this interpretation identifies probabilities with degrees of confidence. So okay. the idea is when I say there's a 50% chance that the coin lands heads or God probably exists. What I'm telling you is how confident I am in those claims. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just more, a, that's more a statement about my psychology than anything else, exactly. isn't it? It's a subjective interpretation. And, and what that implies is that if I say God probably exists and you say God probably doesn't exist, that both of our statements could be true because yeah. we're just talking about our degrees of belief, right? Yeah, right. If belief is different from yours, then we're both right. Yeah. Wow. Well, so just to push back a little bit, I'm going to use an annoying philosophy term, but it seems like the words likely and probably have semantic variability and that mm -hmm. like we just we mean different things when we like sometimes I do mean that when I use the word probably. Right. I, I, I didn't mean to communicate my epistemic mm. position on the matter, but sometimes right. I don't mean that I mean to point out like your your view, the support or an objective fact of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Are all, or so I'm tempted to say all of the views have their place in yeah. how people use ordinary language. But maybe one of them rises to the, to the surface when we're trying to find a th one that like unifies all the ways we use language into one. Right. Yeah. So you could absolutely be a pluralist. You could say that the probability probability can mean many things. And in some contexts, maybe it means degree of support. In other contexts, it means degree of belief. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the difference between that and my own view is going to be pretty small. Um, like I, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to fight to the death to say no. And it never means degree of belief. Like as long mm -hmm. as you don't grant me degrees of support, say that those are real things, then that, mm -hmm. then that's fine. That's primarily what I'm interested in talking about. Gotcha. Okay. Well, as we wind down here, can you any like final thoughts on some big no nos? that we should not be doing like our yeah tell me help both, me both ourselves and our audience what are some other big faux pas of probabilistic reasoning that you encounter all the time um oh gosh this is such an open-ended question there um, yeah, let your mind run wild what are, <laughs> just kind of berate us if you will what are ways that we really <laughs> on a daily <laughs> basis probably probably um 
so to let me just stick with philosophy of religion and, and um, sure. maybe try to come up with a couple examples here. So um, one thing I would say is that, um, so I, I talked about how probability is important for just having the idea that um, it's not all or nothing, that there could that this could be a degreed notion. Um, another thing I would say is that um, it's important to look at all of the evidence that when you're thinking how probable something is, you don't want to just get fixated on one specific thing, um, but you want to ask how does all of the evidence um, interact in mm -hmm. supporting um, this hypothesis to some degree. So one thing that can happen in debates in philosophy of religion, and, and you see this too in popular debates about science, say there's this one piece of evidence or this one study, and people say, oh, you know, this establishes this result. Mm. Um, so the problem of evil shows that theism is irrational or um, you know, fine tuning shows that, that God almost certainly exists. Um, even if individual pieces of evidence are quite strong in their own, you have to think about how they interact. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to think about um, when you take them together, then um, what do they support? Um, and similarly, like if we're talking about, say we're talking about the resurrection, right? Um, and you've got, um, you know, this one, uh, one piece of evidence for it um, and this other piece of evidence for it or against it, you have to think about um, cumulatively what goes on. And that's not always going to be a straightforward matter. Like it might be that one, it might be the two things kind of cancel each other out. It might be that um, when you combine them together, that one is much stronger. It can also be um, another thing that can often happen is that um, you have multiple pieces of evidence for a hypothesis on their own. They're not that strong, but cumulatively, they can be extremely strong. And the mathematics of probability, um, when you work it out, you, you find that this can be the case. So it might be that um, again, say you've got something like in an argument for the resurrection, um, maybe there's one piece of evidence like the empty tomb that a skeptic could come up with a hypothesis that explains it uh, without accepting the resurrection. And then there's another piece of evidence um, like the um, disciples being willing to go, th go to their death um, to testify to this fact. And there's another hypothesis that, that could explain that. Um, but you can't just take these individually. So it might be that on their own, they only support the resurrection to, you know, to some degree um, that's, that's moderate, um, but there's a rival hypothesis that um, would explain it equally well, and it's not too implausible, but there might not be a rival hypothesis that explains both of them equally well. And so then... Um, Good, yeah, because if you they, put the, like, the reasons yeah. for doubting any one piece, you, uh, at least now that I'm just thinking out loud, yeah. those would not work together very well perhaps right yeah. Yeah. whereas right. yeah so and just to frame it to phrase it in your language from your view it would be like the likelihood that jesus rose from the dead given the empty tomb likelihood that jesus rose from the dead given the shroud of turin mm -hmm. or whatever it is you'd like to bring up Point yeah to, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that's right yeah so so you so you don't just want to look at the probability that Jesus rose from the dead, given the empty tomb, or given um, the disciples' martyrdom, um, you want to look at the probability given the conjunction of those two things. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful, yeah. and and so on for all the evidence. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, that's Nevin, awesome. for sharing with us about probability. Yeah, you really bent my mind. Thank you. You, you caught <laughs> Thank Tony. you very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a lot of fun. Of course, I'll be sure to. Take a picture of Tony's door tomorrow just to make sure it's not kicked down. We'll yeah. see what he does overnight here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, enjoy the rest of your day on the other side of the globe. 
All right. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. All right. Have a good one, man. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. We hope that you enjoyed that conversation. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to join the conversation, you can write into the show. You can do that at opentotruth.com or opentotruthpodcast at gmail.com if you want to email us directly. We would love to hear from you and uh, interact with your questions and comments. And until next time, have a good one.